following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. So, uh, we are in the book of Ruth, and usually I start with like some sort of quippy thing that happened along the week with my kids or something like that, but the story of Ruth is so good, and I have very little time that I'm just going to skip to the story. So, we're going to get right into it. Let me give you an update on what happened last week. All right, so how many were, were here last week? So, okay. I know, I love like the half hands. Like, no one's like, you know, give me a, a nice, loud, and proud one. Yes, Kimberly. Thank you. I see that hand. Now I can, actually. Um, so, oh, two. Oh, very good. We got jokers in the crowd. Okay. So, what, what's happening here is last week we went through chapter one. We introduced ourselves to the book of Ruth, and we went through the first part of the story. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to hit the highlights here and give you what you need to know before we enter into chapter two today. All right, so this is kind of the, the baseline. A man named Elimelech, a woman named Naomi, and their two sons, Malon and Chilion, leave Judah, a Bethlehem, Bethlehem of Judah, and leave to go to a different country because there's a famine in the land. The country that they decide to go to is Moab. This is a bad place. This is not a good decision. This is a sinful decision to go away from the presence of the Lord and seeking their own satisfaction somewhere else instead of believing. They get there. Elimelech dies. The patron, the father of the house, he dies. Okay? The two sons, Mal and Chilion, they marry two Moabite women. Also a bad choice. They marry two Moabite women. Malon and Chilion then die. Now we have three ladies, destitute, no provider, no one to take care of them, and they are by themselves, no men. She hears word, Naomi hears word, back in Bethlehem there's food again, they decide to go back. Along the way, Naomi says, I cannot do this to these young ladies, I'm going to send them back. She sends them back, Orpah eventually goes back to her people. But Ruth does not. And she makes this big declaration, says, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. And this incredible speech of commitment and outpouring to Naomi, Ruth goes back with her to Bethlehem. When they, become, when they come through the gates in Bethlehem, the, the place is a buzz. It's a stir. It's a good, it's an exciting thing. Oh, she's come back. This is a good thing. Now she could be safe and finally back home, and it's going to be all right. And the question on the lips of the people, remember, is, is this Naomi? Naomi's name, by the way, means pleasantness or lovely. And immediately she retorts, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, bitter. Remember this? We talked about this. She is not going to embody the name Naomi anymore because, and she makes this very clear, because the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. And she puts, and she makes this huge statement. She says, I went away full. But God, the Almighty, has brought me back empty. Why should I be happy? Why should I be the lovely one? No, call me the bitter old hag, Mara. That's who I am from now on. And we watch them as they go into the gates. They come through, and they are coming at the time of the barley harvest. A little glimmer of hope at the end of the chapter there. So today, we are going to read chapter 2. So Grab your Bibles, Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, 
Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain. After him in whose sight I shall find favor. She said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field and that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wing you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed her to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not, do not reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the fields until evening. Then she beat out what she gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi said, also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with these young women lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Let's pray. God, we are humbled by your grace in Jesus Christ. We are humbled that you have made us your own. As Stacy talked about earlier, Father, we saw not only your acts of goodness in our lives, but Father, the fact that you sent Jesus Christ to live and die 
and rise again so that you could conquer death, so that you could make us your own. We're totally undeserving, Lord. It's a, it's a shortcoming. We can't even say how undeserving we are, Lord, but we, we recognize who you are and we praise you. We worship you this morning as a group together, honoring you to gather together to lift high the name of Jesus Christ. May we not turn it in on ourselves and be self-focused and be distracted with the stuff around us, but rather would you focus our eyes on you. We may see you for who you are, not for what we want you to be. You change us, Father, and open our hearts. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see. In your name, amen. All right, so we begin with the introduction to a new character, straight off the bat here. The first verse, it's a strange, brief, but really important introduction. Our author says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. This is rather curious because the following statement, verse 2, doesn't have anything to do with verse 1. If you look at it, now we know the story a little bit, but if you didn't know the story, you're reading it, you get introduced to this guy named Boaz, and the next statement, verse 2, and Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi something completely different. There is no connection between verse 1 and verse 2, as far as we know so far. Verse 1 is purposefully brief, it's intentional, it's specific, and it's leading. In a sense, if this is your first time reading it, you'd read through verse 1, then you'd read verse 2, and you kind of look back at verse 1 and say, did I miss something? That, that was odd. Oh well. Bingo. Mission accomplished. Your author has done that on purpose. So now you have, in the back of your mind, this idea of who Boaz is swirling around. Like, okay, okay, I'll just, I'll just hold on to that piece of information, I guess. And now we go back into the story. And as soon as you begin to read verse 2, your immediate reaction is to see that and think, that's very odd. That's on purpose. Pick that kind of a clue up. When you see something that's either repetition, we talked about this, or some sort of oddity that maybe don't strike us right away, be a student and think, why did this happen? Our author is slowing us down and causing us to think, okay, that's important, I think. It was the very first thing, and now he's going to go into the story. I'm going to hold that and think about it. So notice that the author talks about the relationship, first of all, of Naomi. He's not talking really much about Boaz specifically, yeah, we're talking about that this is a connection to Naomi's husband's, husband, Elimelech. The author notes that he is a worthy man, that he is from the clan of Elimelech, and again, that his name is Boaz. That's it. We'll find out more later. For now, we've been handed information back, like I said. Wait. Verse 2, and Ruth the Moabite, let me stop there. That's like a really degrading title. I don't know if you understand this. That's not a title that you want to have. And she has named this over and over. If you look in 122, in 2.2, or right here, in 2 verse 6, in 2.21, in 4.5, in 4.10, all these different places, she's called Ruth the Moabite. That is like calling someone, you'll know this reference, Rahab the harlot. This is not a generous or good title. Someone, oh yeah, Chris of Lowndes is my last name. Like that's how you identify me. No, no, no. It's much deeper than that. And it is a separator. It's on purpose. Whereas you'd find Elimelech being from the clan of, you know, Elimelech's clan of being from Judah and Bethlehem, we're going to find out that Ruth is called Ruth the Moabite. Not an endearing term. This is not a good thing. Verse 2, let me read it again. So Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain. After him in whose sight I shall find favor. So whoever's going to look after me? And she said to her, go, my daughter. 
And she set out and went and gleaned the field after the reapers. So what's happening here? This idea of gleaning, what is, refer, what is Ruth referring to? Let me read you two passages of Scripture. This is from the law. This is what God put in place for, uh, for Israel and, how, and Judah, how they should operate. Leviticus 23, 22. Just listen. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edges, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. That's someone who's traveling through. I am the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 24, 19. Listen to this, even more stark. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, for the fatherless, listen, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. God has placed within the law a provision for the needy. He's made this an opportunity for them to be able to have food. He made an opportunity for them not to just be beggars along the side of the road, but actually to be able to go and glean food from a field. And a landowner would have to leave that edge ungleaned, untaken, and make sure if something was left there to leave it alone. The reason why is, again, it's not your whole crop, but it's an opportunity for those who are in need to glean and take for themselves as well. It's a matter of taking care of his people. It's actually a provision. A little bit different than what we would see in begging, but that's what he's doing. Again, in verse 2, we find Ruth asking her mother-in-law if she's a good with her going to claim what little stuff she's entitled to as a widow. And, by the way, a sojourner, right? Although she already classified herself as not one. She's ever, from everyone else, what are they calling her? Ruth the Moabite. So she classifies. She totally qualifies for this provision. Naomi gives her the green light. Go ahead. Now, look for a minute here. Ruth, how does she pose this? She, she says this. She plans to go glean a field in whose, in whose, from one in whose sight she will find favor. She's trying to look for someone who will have compassion, who will have pity, who will allow her to come and glean in that field. She's looking for, maybe she doesn't even know it, she's looking for a God-fearing man who leaves those things properly and doesn't have a problem with the, the, with the poor and the needy coming by and taking what God has made in his law to be for them. She's looking for this type of person who she will find favor. And again, Naomi says, yes, go out and do this. This is Ruth's second speech, by the way. We saw the first one, right? And it revealed a ton about her character and who she was, this faithfulness, this, this commitment to Naomi. Again, the second speech is going to tell us again more about who she is. Look at each piece of speech as something that the author is going to be telling us about the person who is actually doing the speaking. So what does this part tell us about it? What is Ruth doing? She is saying, let me go out and glean. Let me go out and take care of our family. Let me go out and be the breadwinner. No pun intended. She wants to go do this. She's full of initiative, and she's ready to take this on and provide for her family. Again, there's a highlight in this speech. A lot more speaking is coming in this chapter, so look for it, think about it, what's happening, what is the author trying to do with these people through what they're saying. Let's get back to verse 3. So we went out to the glean in the field. Let's pick up halfway through the verse. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. Let me get off on a, on a, like a small rabbit trail here for a minute. Uh, let me look at those first three words. And she happened to come. 
It just so happened that she came to this place. You and I, many of us don't read Hebrew well. Probably none of you have a Hebrew reader in front of you. I could be wrong. Maybe someone brought it, and that's great. Let me take this and translate it back a little bit so that you understand. It's not, it's a choppy wooden translation. This idea of the and she happened, this is the idea. As chance, as chance chanced it, this is what happened. The two types of words piling on top of each other, showing something coming out of chance. Now, is this to mean that our Hebrew author here is not a good Hebrew or not a good Jew? He's like, he believes in chance somehow, as though sometimes his theology is somehow bad? No. This is a rhetorical device. As we're reading, we see, he says, as chance chanced, what? Wait a second. Chance doesn't chance, first of all. And if it did, that's a weird way to put it together. He's, he's drawing us back in to show there's nothing that's just happening. It's like we were looking forward, you know, and uh, if we were looking at the New Testament passage, for instance, and we said something like this, and as luck would have it, Philip stumbled upon an Ethiopian eunuch who, by luck, wanted to know the meaning of the Scriptures. And just by chance, he wanted to become a Christian. That's crazy. What, a ch- what are the chances? Yeah, ridiculous, right? That's the point here. As chance would have it, as chance chanced, no, no, no. Reader, clue in. Chance has nothing to do with this. She's not led to Boaz's field by chance or some sort of spirit aura around her. God is involved here. As chance would have it. Our author isn't making us question his theology, like I said. It's a deliberate rhetorical device to help us understand this is all about who God is. God has brought Ruth to the field of Boaz, the one who was the clan, from the clan of Elimelech, and now, lo and behold, remember that he says that right here, behold, here comes Boaz. It's almost like, again, look, wow, can you imagine? Boaz is here. He showed up. She stumbled into this incredible place by chance, and look, Boaz is here. Wow. And now in your head, you're thinking, I know this guy. I read verse one. I know. Wait a second. Something's, I got to put these two together. God brought, brought, brought Luke, Luke, Ruth to this place, and he is in control, bringing now Boaz to this place also. Back to verse four. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they said, the Lord bless you. First speech by Boaz, what do we find? The first thing rolling off his lips is a greeting that acknowledges the presence of Yahweh. Now you say, well, it's just a greeting. Yeah, but you could have, you could have said it many other ways. You could have said, peace be with you or some other thing. I don't know how else they greet each other specifically. But this was one of the ways, and it acknowledges the presence of who God is, His presence. And He says, the Lord be with you. And they answer, they knew Him, the Lord bless you. Sure, it's a greeting, but it's an important one. So don't miss that. Our character Boaz, these are the first words off of his lips. Don't miss that. The first thing he is saying is, the Lord bless you. Significant. Verse 5, then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge, he's like a foreman of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was, was in charge of the servants answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Boaz gets his information. 
He asks, who is this? His foreman reluctantly, by the way, answers. I don't think this is reading through the lines because let me tell you, he, is, he has a prejudice snap on his tongue. He is not being kind as he answers. He doesn't even say her name. Do you realize what he says there? He says, she's a Moabite woman, the one who came back with Naomi from Moab. Two times in the same sentence, like he, couldn't, he didn't understand like Moabite meant from Moab. No, this is on purpose again. It's harsh. It's biting. It's not a nice way to talk about this girl. Now, text is a little vague at this point. Let me walk you through and I'll tell you what I think is the best way to understand this. The foreman goes on to say that she came requesting to glean among the sheaves. But then he says, so she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a rest. In other words, it is in this way that she came and has continued. So what is she continuing in? Is she continuing, like, did he say yes and she's reaping now? Or is she continuing to request this? Let me glean. Hey, let me glean. Hey, could you let me glean? Hey, I need to, st- I need to speak to your manager. Can I, can I glean in these fields? And I think by the way that this text is set up, that's probably more likely. And thus, Boaz is saying, who is this woman standing by the edge of the field being annoying? <laughs> you know, possibly something like that. He's saying, hey, who is this? Because she is waiting and she's asking and waiting and asking. The point, though, even if it is that she was beginning to glean, she has been persistent. She's only taken one break all day, this guy says. He, she went out, she was working, she's waiting for this again, asking permission to do this and being persistent. We've already seen her initiative and now we see that she's persistent. Regardless, it is a statement again of initiative and persistence. Either way that she's going, uh, we're seeing that Ruth is again holding true to her character. Enter Boaz. The text doesn't even have Boaz responding directly to the foreman at all. I'm sure he might have said, well, thanks a lot for the intel. But instead, what he does, he goes right over, he goes right to Ruth. Rather, the next thing recorded is Boaz's approach. Then Boaz said to Ruth, this is verse 8 if you're looking, then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Boaz invites her to glean and to continue to glean. He reassures her, I told my workers to keep their hands off, to leave you alone. They won't bother you. And feel free to drink from the water cooler. It's on me. Go ahead. No problem. He's taking care of her already. The first thing he's coming across, she's, and he's taking care of her. And what is she? If I can put this in a word that sounds really nasty, what she really is, she's a scavenger, right? She's picking up what's left over. She's picking up the stuff that, for some reason, either got left behind as a mistake, or they left on the sides because they're annoyed, or something like that. Probably the guys that didn't work hard were like, they loved it. Like, oh, I'm just leaving more for the, leaving more for the widows out here, you know. Let's leave, let's leave that patch right there. That's for the widows. But that's what she is. She's scavenging those pieces. And rather, Boaz comes along and says, don't go somewhere else. I want you to continue to stay here. And by the way, don't just do that. Take a drink from the water. I don't want you hurt. I want you to stay here. Stay safe. I've told my men to stay away from you, to not touch you, to not do any sort of, again, something that would be an assault to you or an insult as well. Because remember, what does the text call her? Ruth the Moabite. And we already know how the foreman feels about her calls her Ruth the Moabite, the one that's from Moab. Boaz, a wealthy, important landowner, has stepped off his high horse, probably literally, 
to talk to Ruth, a poverty-stricken foreigner, a widow. He could have easily had his foreman go and relay the message or gotten one of his young women to say, hey, go take care of that girl. We want to make sure she's okay. But instead, he talks directly to Ruth. More than Ruth could have ever hoped for, Boaz is already starting to show how God's provision is coming to life. Look at verse 10. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? She asked the same question. Yeah, Boaz, what's the deal? Like, why are you uh, being so kind to Ruth? This is exactly what Ruth was looking for. But remember verse 2. Ruth was looking for one that was, you know, the one that she could find favor in their sight. She's found it. But, but why, Boaz? She's surprised. Why would Boaz choose to go over and above the requirements of the law? Does he have some sort of a good reason? Let's look at verse 11. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. First of all, I've heard about what you've done for my law, and listen, I'm impressed. It's a big deal what you've done, Ruth. In my opinion, you've done a wonderful thing. I mean, you left your home, you left your family, you left your native land to come and be with this bitter old hag. That's what you decided to do. That's a big deal. You've taken care of her. Now you've come out to my field to take care of her and to provide for her. That's a big deal. It's not a small thing. In fact, I'm so impressed that I can't help but give you a little blessing along the way. And he says it. Boaz actually praises Ruth to the point of calling God to do something on his part for repaying Ruth for what she has done. Look at it. He calls the Lord to repay her for what she's done. Then lastly, he acknowledges that Ruth has submitted herself to God in a way that claims him as a protector. Boaz is recognizing that Ruth has flung herself on the mercy of God. She said, your people, my people, your God, my God. And now he draws upon this incredible analogy that we see all through the Psalms of this mother bird being a, taking the wings and spreading them out over the chicks, the defenseless chicks who would die otherwise. And it said, Ruth, you have come in to that person, that God, for refuge. May he treat you the right way. And he calls God to do that and calls him to not only reward her, but give her a full reward, the text says. So he is calling God to do this. In his little praise for her, he is actually making a prayer and asking God to be the fulfiller of what she really deserves. Ruth responds, verse 13. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Ruth responds, humility, grace, thankfulness, and she understands how great of a kindness this is. She recognizes that Boaz does not own her, has no authority over her, and yet he has comforted her, interesting language, and spoken kindness to her. And that's the end of the scene. Scene one is over. This is a great start for our ladies, Ruth and Naomi. Now, Naomi has no idea about all this stuff happening yet. Only Ruth does. It's a great start because we know it has implications, though. If she can glean, she can probably take something home for Naomi as well and take care of her. They have found food. They found a worthy man that fears God, who is listening and who has actually gone out for protection and provision for these ladies. 
This is a ray of sunshine in a very dark and bitter night so far. We're seeing one of our first real big rays of sunshine. Let's head into scene two, though. Verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. Do not reproach her, do not rebuke her. In the book of Matthew, chapter 7, you guys know this. We see Jesus telling his disciples that you will know a person by their fruits. In James, chapter 2, it reminds us that a person's true faith will evidence itself in action. Boaz is not just being a speaker of the word. He's doing it. He is already showing the fruit of what he said back before. He's already showing that his faith and what he really meant is the truth. Boaz just made this lofty speech calling God to work in her life and to provide and to give her a full reward and to protect her. But his talk is not cheap. Not only does Boaz do his part in allowing Ruth to glean in his field, he is now entering into the realm of providing even more. Some of this actual blessing that he called down from God, he is taking part in being the giver of this blessing now. We're watching him actually do it. Not only does Boaz do his part in allowing Ruth to glean his field, He's now entering in the realm of adding more stuff, doing other things that are outside of his obligation. He's going above and beyond. In a way, you could say that he's showing Yahweh-type love. Um, we see that it's certainly uh, very much rhyming with what we know to be true of who God is, more than they ever knew. At mealtime, he brings Ruth to the table. Again, he didn't send for her. He didn't give orders for someone else to take her food, a little, little tray. Rather, he talks to her directly. He seats her at the table with his paid labors and gives her so much that she has leftovers from dinner. Is anyone seeing the immediate irony here of the situation of chapter one and the desolateness and what's happening here? Naomi wails and pouts and mourns about her emptiness, right? We see that as a theme. This emptiness, she went away. Now, last week we saw that, now they come back in the harvest season and we're seeing Ruth, a starving widow, go from hoping to have food to gaining access to glean the food to sitting down at a table being satisfied with fresh food to taking home a doggy bag full of food. Not only does she have enough at the table, she has enough to take home. Ruth gets back to work. God has not been silent so far. Verse 15. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So Ruth goes back. Did you hear that? Ruth goes back to work. She's not done. She's not going to take what she took and just go home. She goes back to do more work. This girl is really starting to remind me of that one girl in Proverbs 31. Hint, hint. After she goes back to glean the fields, Boaz takes his men aside and instructs them, his labors, and basically says, leave extra green on the ground for Ruth to pick up. I want you to pull stuff out even. Out of the bales that you're already done, I want you to pull some out and leave it there so she can grab it. And do not re rebuke her. Do not reproach her. He says it again. Not only, again, not only is he provided, now he is protecting her. Don't miss that. 
Now he has acted like God only in provision, but also in protection. The very thing that he called upon God to do for her, he is doing it. He is instructing these men, do not reproach her, do not rebuke her. And they had all, again, it's very likely that they would have. She's a foreigner. She's a widow. She is, again, she's a woman out in the field. Who knows what could happen to her there? This is a very realistic protection for Ruth. And just for extra emphasis, he gives her more provisions and ensures proper treatment of vulnerable foreign widow. He is demonstrating this great love, great, undeserved, unilateral, that is, just means going in one direction, not a feedback tunnel, one directional, unilateral, abundant love. Ruth has nothing to offer him. Boaz isn't obligated to do any of these things. He's fulfilling his obligation to God and way past it. He's showing unfailing kindness. Like we've talked about, he is showing hesed, covenantal, faithful, merciful love. Ruth's day has come to an end. Verse 17, let's look at this. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Ruth works until the sun went down. She processes the grain. She takes home a whopping ephah of barley. What, you don't know what an ephah is? You're all looking at me like you don't know what that is. Okay, I didn't know either. So an ephah, we're like, okay, that's one unit of measurement. I have no idea what that is. An ephah is a staggering amount, especially for someone who is scavenging, all right? There, I, I did a lot of study here to try to understand what's the best way to kind of put this together. The most conservative parts of this say that this amount is probably somewhere from 22 to 36 liters of grain. So if you took like eight, 11 to 18 bottles, like a soda two-liter bottles, and filled them full with barley, that's what we're talking about. One day, I mean, she's, she's gotten all that stuff she had to beat it all out, and then she has all this stuff. They say we're talking about roughly like the size of like one of those Costco-sized dog food bags. Gigantic amount, like 30 to 50 pounds of grain that she has taken away. It's a huge amount. Again, the readers can be like, an ephah? No way. We say, yeah, an ephah. Okay, whatever. It's a big deal. And again, it's to catch our, catch our, it should catch our eye and say, whoa, this is a big deal. And remember, by the way, we're talking about a widow who's picking it up. No tractors, probably no tools, no sophisticated tools. There's no help for her. She is going by and picking up bare hands, making sure that she can gather whatever she can. She's gleaning. She's taking it in. Whatever she can get, that's what we're talking about. And that's what she comes out with. As, we're, as we'll see, after I've explained what that means, we're not the only ones that are surprised about this. Verse 18, the second half, her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her f- what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So Ruth walks in the door. <laughs> she lays this Costco-sized bag of barley on the table. <laughs> Then she takes out her doggy bag she had left over. Can you imagine the uh, exhausted but uh, excited smirk she had on her face? And can you imagine the surprise on Naomi's face? Like, awesome, like eyes big as saucers, her mouth is on the floor. She cannot help herself. She is like gushing. 
where did you work today? What happened? Blah. Blessed be the man who helped you to do this kind of stuff. She can't help herself because she's overwhelmed by this that she has brought home and what God has done. She blurts out like these two questions and a blessing. Sounds like some weird mixer game to me, but uh, she says, where did you glean today? Where did you go? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man that took notice of you. Her excitement evidenced itself in two questions. And essentially, these are the same question. It's for emphasis. Don't miss that. If someone's saying something, it's not like different wording is doing a different thing and she's asking two separate questions. It's two different questions that are actually asking the same question. It's for emphasis. She can't help herself. What happened? You've got to tell me the story. Go ahead and tell, no, and before you do that, let's give a blessing to this guy. You know, may the Lord bless this man. This is amazing. Verse 19, the second half. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Remember, just pretend for a minute that you, didn't, you weren't here for the last 20 minutes or so and heard this whole story. Naomi has no idea what's going on. When she hears this, it's a huge shocker. She could have just said, by the way, also, and look, this is great effect by what the, the author does. He draws this out. He's this cool little theatrical trick of slowing down the answer and building this suspense. He could have just said, because she could have said, the field of Boaz. But no, listen for a minute. The author says, so she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is, do you get, do you get what's happening there? Like to us, we just read it over like, uh, Boaz, got it. I already know that. He is laying it way out and showing us and slowing us down to say, okay, okay, Boaz. No way, because we already know verse one. And of course, of course, Ruth and Naomi especially knows verse one, who this man is and how important he is to them. It will help us a little bit to remember that this is not only a kindness of a wealthy landowner, Boaz, to a random foreign widow, Ruth. It's much larger than that. Naomi's coming statements will draw us back into her story. So pay attention here. It's going to bring her back, bring us back into her struggle. We've always been in, we've been in the field of Boaz this whole time today. But listen as she responds. Verse 20, And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness, chesed, by the way, has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Naomi blesses him again, but then things turn theological. She blesses him in the name of the Lord. Then she describes the Lord as the one whose kindness hasn't forgotten the living or the dead. The word kindness, again, like I just said, is the word chesed, that idea of covenant, faithful kindness and love and mercy. This is Naomi's recognition. By the way, I think this is on Naomi's list. Catch that. This is not the narrator saying this. This is Naomi saying this. God's faithfulness to me is evidenced now. His kindness is now being poured out on the living, that's me and Ruth, and the dead. Who's, the, who's dead? Elimelech. Elimelech is the one who's dead here. Her attitude is beginning to change. This is explained in the next statement. She tells Ruth that Boaz is a close relative and a potential redeemer. Well, what's that? Like, that she qualifies as a redeemer. We don't talk about this much, so let me quickly explain this. A redeemer was one who was responsible for economic well-being of a relative. 
taking care of them and becoming, and he comes into play especially when a relative is in distress and can't get himself out of the crisis. So things like a redeemer would come by and buy back a relative, whole, you know, someone who had to sell themselves into slavery, a redeemer would do something like that. Or a redeemer would do something where if someone was murdered and you were part of that clan, you were the redeemer, you would go and search them down and avenge that murderer by killing him and execute justice. Or perhaps you would show up at a place and you would be on trial to help someone who got into a political crisis or some sort of situation that when they were in a lawsuit. But for our purposes, and you probably know what's coming, for our purposes, what Naomi is referring to, he is a redeemer, and he has the opportunity and the ability to buy our land so that it doesn't leave the clan of Elimelech. This is a big deal. God gave these different parcels to all these different places in Israel, and he did it on purpose. And if Elimelech doesn't have himself or doesn't have any sons, he has no inheritance. He has three women. Now he has two women to deal with. They can't do anything about it, but there's a redeemer possibly that could do this, who could provide, who could step in and actually make a difference. This is who Boaz is. In our scenario, we're seeing him. It just so happened that she happened to stumble into Boaz's field. Potential redeemer. Verse 21. We're looking to get a little extra little information here. This is all we know from Naomi up to this point. Excuse me. All we know from Ruth and what we've seen in the text before, we're going to get a little extra information here. All right? Verse 21. Ruth the Moabite said, Beside, he says to me, besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all the harvest. Did you catch that? Before, he had said, you stay at my fields, but now we're catching the rest of what was actually happening. All harvest. It's like a continuation to say, you glean today an ephah, that's great. No, come back and continue to stay with me until the end of my harvest. Continuing provision. provision. Naomi responds, verse 22, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So, this is the summary statement, she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. Both, by the way. And she lived with her mother-in-law. The author finishes up with this little statement to kind of encapsulate it and see what's happened. And he leaves us with a very interesting little phrase. Did you catch that? And she lived with her mother-in-law. Well, duh. Like, where else? Was she going to live in a tent? Or like, I don't know what she's going to do. Like, get her own apartment? It's purposeful. Again, to us, it's a little weird, right? There's a reason here. The author is showing us something again. Remember the prayer of Naomi way back when Orpah and Ruth had come and she said, you need to go back? What did she pray for? That you may go find rest in the house of your husbands. She still is wanting them to be married. And her author somehow is also wanting this. We already know there's a redeemer. That's not really enough for, uh, for Naomi. She wants a little more. and It's not enough for our author. Could it be that what Naomi really wants is a son? An heir? What if Boaz, aside from taking care of the two women, could be a husband of Ruth and bring offspring for Elimelech's clan and truly restore the wholeness of that clan? What if, indeed? I guess we'll see in chapter 3. So ends the story of chapter 2. We're, we're almost done. Three things we want to pull out. So we say, so what about this? Because we have a lot to look forward. And it gets better and better and intriguing. Don't read ahead. It gets really good. You can read ahead. It's okay. But don't get too interested. Three things. 
One is Ruth, one is Boaz, and one is God. I'm going to bring these two together for time's sake. We see the character of Ruth. We see the kindness and compassion of Boaz, and we're astounded. We look back and we watch these people as being the quintessential people who are responding correctly to what it means to be a, children of, a, a person of God, a child of God. They understand it, and they're doing it correctly. Boaz is full of compassion and love and provision and protection. He looks at that. But who better than him, he points forward to, is compassionate and loving and kind and protected and provide. Jesus Christ. Don't be enamored by Boaz, folks. He's awesome. You know, I, I'm sure I'd like to hang out with him, but he's not, the, he's not the hero here. He does remind us what it means to live correctly under God's rule. But he's not the hero here. Ruth, she has this great amount of character. She shows persistence. She shows initiative. She works hard. She has respect from those people that actually matter. She's taking care of her mother-in-law, which she never had to do. Man, we need to be like Ruth, too. We need to be like Ruth and Boaz. But let me remind you of something. You can't. You cannot be like Ruth. You cannot be like Boaz in your own strength. You cannot be like Christ in your own strength. Do not forget Galatians 2.20. I'm sure some of you know it by heart. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. I am dead, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. So we should ask ourselves, are these things that we're actually seeing in our life? Are we noticing these things? Are we compassionate? Do we love our neighbor? Do we love the people who are widowed, the sojourner, the people that are unfortunate? Do we drop some of our assumptions and, and do we actually love these people? That's for you and me to think about and remind ourselves that that is what Jesus did. We have no excuse. Lastly, God's hesed, his covenant, faithful, unilateral love for these two women is overwhelming. You can't miss it. It's painted all over this chapter. God's the one, going back to that, if chance, chance, this is what happens. It just so happened. And behold, look, he showed up. Don't miss it. God is the one doing this stuff. And so today, I don't care what is happening. You may not be in the field of Boaz yet in your life. You may be struggling. You may have stuff that's dark and terrible and you're bitter. I don't know what's happening. But I know life is hard and it's full of sin. And the only way that we can have hope is in Jesus Christ. But get that last part. The only way we can have hope is through Jesus Christ. So we die. We recognize that we have nothing to offer. We abide in the vine and we hope in God eternal. We have nothing else to hope in, guys. Nothing else. Hope in God. He will not he will not leave us. He will always provide and protect. He's good for his word. Let's pray. God, thank you for your goodness to us. We recognize that in this book we see your loving hand. And God, the ladies may not have known except finally Naomi speaks up and says that this is the Lord's kindness on us who hasn't forsaken the living and the dead. But Lord, along the way, you're doing all these things. Help us to see that, Father, and recognize that in our lives, Along the way, you're doing these things. We may not see them. May we take a minute to stop right now and declare to one another, it's your loving kindness 
that is provided for us. It's your loving kindness that has turned us to hearts of repentance. We worship you today, Father, and thank you in Jesus' name.